Chapter 7 Delicious lunch, Myra. Thank you, Mrs. Cartier. Sunlight filtered through the curtains in the window above the kitchen sink as Myra hurried to finish washing the dishes. She was eager to get their daily walk by the lake out of the way and begin reading to Mrs. Cartier. Maybe the book would help take her mind off of the frightening sleepwalking episode of the night before. If only she'd been able to tell someone about it. Talking about it would probably make it seem less frightening to her, but her mother had already gone to work. She had called Walker's house first thing in the morning, but his mother said he wasn't up yet. Donna had already left for work, so there was no one to tell. Had she really walked in her sleep? Walked down the front stairs, unlocked the door, and crossed the front yard, almost to the street with her eyes closed and her arms outstretched like someone in a horror movie? Myra had so many questions she needed to have answered. She had never sleepwalked before. Why had she done it last night? Where was she going? What would have happened if she hadn't awakened? Would she have kept right on walking? The dream was just as troubling as the sleepwalking. She ran it through her mind again and again. It didn't make any sense to her. Why was she walking across the lake? To meet someone? To get away from someone? And who was watching her from the shore? Did the dream cause her to sleepwalk? Was there a connection between the two? She just had to talk to somebody about it. Mrs. Cartier, do you know anything about sleepwalking? The old woman was sitting on the couch, stroking the black cat. She didn't seem to hear Myra. Finally, she looked up. The cat looked up, too. I'm sorry, Myra. Were you speaking to me? Yes, I, uh, wondered if you knew anything about sleepwalking. Mrs. Cartier didn't seem at all surprised by the question. Sleepwalking? Yes, yes, she said, looking down at Hazel as she answered. It's very mysterious, very mysterious. She picked up the cat and began to play with her. Myra wiped her hands on the striped dish towel. She decided not to tell Mrs. Cartier what had happened. Let's walk later, Mrs. Cartier said, settling back on the couch. Let's break our routine and read a few chapters first. Hazel mewed and leapt silently down to the carpet. She curled up on a ball in front of the couch, as if getting comfortable to listen to Myra read. After work, Myra wanted to hurry over to Donna's and tell her about the sleepwalking, but she had to go to the mall to get some paint samples for her mother. She felt relieved to get out of Mrs. Cartier's house, even though the day had gone surprisingly smoothly. Mrs. Cartier was in a very cheerful mood and didn't seem to notice that Myra was so distracted and lost in her own thoughts. The old woman had dozed off about halfway through the chapter, and Myra read on quietly, her voice little above a murmur, her mind far away from the words she was reading. Now the orange afternoon sun was lowering behind the trees. The air smelled fresh and cool. Myra had to walk past the Fair Street Cemetery to get to the bus stop on Park Drive. Two very blonde kids, a boy of eight or nine and a girl maybe a few years older, were laughing and chasing each other in a wild game of tag just beyond the cemetery wall. Why are they playing in there, Myra wondered. She had a sudden impulse to yell at them, to tell them to go play somewhere else. Hadn't they heard the awful stories about the Fair Street Cemetery? When she was a little girl, a boy from down the block had given her bad dreams for weeks by telling her the story of why the gravestones there were all crooked. It was because the dead people underneath were pushing up with their shoulders, pushing up every night, trying to push the gravestones away so they could climb out. To this day, crooked gravestones in a cemetery gave Myra the shudders. She started to call out to the two kids, but they were gone. Their high-pitched laughter still rang in her ears, but they were nowhere to be seen. She crossed the street and peered over the wall. Were they hiding from her? There was no sign of them. As she walked away, she thought she heard them giggling nearby, but it may have been a bird or just her imagination. She crossed the street and stopped. A man had just stepped out of the house across the cemetery, closing the door loudly behind him. He's staring at me, Myra realized. He's looking at me as if he recognizes me. 
The man looked very surprised to see her. He's enormous, Myra thought, staring back at him. He was nearly seven feet tall, powerfully built, and had a football player's neck, almost wider than his head. He was wearing black spandex bicycle shorts and a red sleeveless t-shirt that showed off his commanding chest and bulging muscles. With his square, red-cheeked face and short, blonde flat-top haircut, he looked like the stereotype of a marine drill sergeant or a pro football middle linebacker. What are you staring at, big neck? Myra thought. She looked behind her to make sure he wasn't staring at someone else. No, Fear Street was empty. There was no one else around. Myra knew she had never seen him before, but he seemed to recognize her. As he stared, his expression slowly changed from surprise to anger. Suddenly, he started toward her, taking long, quick strides. Hey, he shouted, more of a grunt than a word. He's dangerous, Myra realized. She just had a feeling, a sudden cold chill of warning. He wants to hurt me. He wants to get me. Maybe it was his size. Maybe it was the intense look on his face. There was something very wrong with him. She turned and started to run. Hey, stop! Her heart pounding, she ran faster. Was he following her? She didn't turn to look around. She didn't stop running until she reached the bus stop. Then, gasping for air, she leaned against the bus stop pole and looked behind her. He wasn't there. He hadn't followed. Very relieved, she clung to the pole, waiting for her heart to stop pounding and her breathing to return to normal. Who was that man? What did he want? She was certain she had never seen him before. She surely would have remembered someone so big, so dangerous looking. The bus came after a few minutes, and she stepped in and paid her fare. She was the only passenger. My own personal air-conditioned limo, she thought. She gratefully slumped into a plastic seat and rested her head against a cool window glass. She felt so tired, so worn out. It wasn't just the run to the bus stop. It was also the sleepwalking the night before. It seemed to have drained all of her energy. The sleepwalking. Would she do it again tonight? The Division Street stop came too soon. She wanted to keep riding. It was so cool and calming. She still felt shook up over that weird man. She couldn't get his face out of her mind. Stepping down, Myra was surprised by the warm, humid air outside. She crossed the street and headed into the Division Street Mall. I used to spend so much time here in the summer, she thought, before I had to have a job. Surprised at how empty the mall was, she stopped to look at some bathing suits at a narrow little store called Clothes Call. She found a green bikini she was tempted to try on. But what was the point? She hadn't brought enough money with her. She had just come for color samples of paint. She couldn't buy the bathing suit, even if it looked fabulous on her, which it probably wouldn't. She walked past the donut hall. The aroma of cinnamon buns almost pulled her back in, but she managed to resist. Maybe I'll buy a couple to bring home on the way out, she thought. She suddenly realized she was starving. Stopping in front of Ray's Pizza Place, she peered into the window. A lot of kids from school were there. Maybe one of her friends could be cajoled into sharing a slice or two of pizza. Wait a minute. Whoa. Myra blinked hard. She didn't want to believe her eyes. Who was that in the center booth? Yup, it was Walker. Myra shielded her eyes and squinted through the window to make sure she wasn't seeing things. No, she was right. It was Walker. He was sharing pizza with Suki Thomas, just about the trashiest girl in school. They were gazing into each other's eyes, and they were holding hands. Chapter 8 Myra was so startled she entered the restaurant and walked right up to their booth. Walker! Their hands moved apart. They both smiled up at her. Myra, I didn't see you come in, Walker said, looking at Suki. I'm having an awful afternoon. A guy chased me, Myra blurted out. Huh? They both uttered. Some man chased me, on Fear Street, after I got out of Mrs. Cotier's. Walker's smile faded and his face filled with concern. What? Who was it? Should we call the police? No, I I'm sorry. He didn't follow me very far, but 
That's frightening, Suki said, shaking her head. Her platinum hair was spiked punk style with about a ton or two of gel. She wore a purple t-shirt and matching purple tights under jean cutoffs. What did he look like? He looked dangerous, Myra said curtly, staring at Walker. He was really big. Myra, sit down. Walker scooted over to the wall, making room for her. No, I don't want to interrupt her anything, she said pointedly, giving Walker a dirty look, just in case he didn't catch her meaning. Looking very nervous, Walker immediately started to explain. I ran into Suki here at the mall. I was going to the magic store to pick up some cards I ordered, and there she was, and we got to talking. Actually, we were talking about you when you came in. We were both hungry, so we just got a pizza. And you thought you'd stay warm till the pizza arrived by holding hands. Huh? He looked at her with disbelief. We weren't. Get real, Myra. We weren't, Suki repeated, shaking her head. I was showing her a coin trick. You know, which hand has the coin? That's all. Those two pink spots on his cheeks, that innocent look on his handsome face. Myra realized she believed him. He had to be telling the truth. No one could be that bad of a liar. And where was the coin, Myra asked. Suki shrugged. I couldn't find it. He's too tricky for me. Myra realized she had jumped to the wrong conclusion. Walker was telling the truth. He and Suki had met at the mall and got a pizza. Big deal. She'd overreacted. She slid into the booth beside Walker. What would Walker see in Suki anyway? Never mind. Cancel that question, Myra thought. Suki had the worst reputation of any girl at Shadyside High. It was easy to figure out what Walker might see in her, but he wasn't exactly her type. He was so shy and straight, there couldn't be anything going on between them. Myra scolded herself for getting jealous so quickly, for not trusting Walker more. What are you doing this summer? Suki asked Myra, after slurping the remains of her coke. Working. Me too. At least, I was working, Suki said, sighing. I was working at Frosty's here at the mall. You know, the hair place? But I got canned. They wanted me to work too many hours. I said, like, forget it, you know? So they said I could forget coming to work. Bummer, Myra said. She realized this was the longest conversation she'd ever had with Suki. How about some pizza? Walker asked. He pulled the platter over toward her. No thanks. I've got to get home. I mean, I've got to go do some shopping. Myra realized she'd forgotten all about her mother's color samples. It was nearly dinner time. She had to hurry. She climbed out of the booth. Wait, I'll give you a lift, Walker said. Myra really wanted to talk to Walker to tell him about her sleepwalking episode, how weird and frightening it was. But this definitely was not the time. She already believed him about Suki. She didn't want to hear him explain all over again, which she was sure to do, and she didn't want to have to describe being chased by the big blonde man again. He was obviously just some nutcase who mistook her for somebody else or something. She just wanted to forget about him. No thanks. Call me later. Bye, Suki. And she ran out of the restaurant without looking back. I hope I don't have to start locking you in at night. Myra glared at her mother. It's not a joke, you know. Mrs. Barnes took a sip of her coffee and set the mug down on the table. They had just finished dinner and the dishes hadn't been cleared yet. Myra had waited until they had finished their dinner, a casserole of ground beef and macaroni and cheese, to tell her mother about her sleepwalking. And now her mother was reacting in typical fashion, making a joke of it. Why do you always think everything that happens to me is funny, Myra demanded. I don't, Myra. Stop looking at me like that. Sleepwalking is serious, but I don't want you to be scared and worried. It will probably never happen again. Please, dear, relax. Mother, I nearly walked into the street. What if I hadn't woken up? But you did wake up. Look, I'm a nurse, and I can guarantee you that no one has ever come into our hospital because they walked into a truck while they were walking in their sleep. You're going to be fine. Oh, that makes me feel a lot better, Myra said sarcastically. She reached across the table and took a sip of her mother's coffee. Ugh! 
Don't you put any sweetener in? No, I like it strong. Strong and greasy. Myra made a face and shoved the mug back toward her mother. You've never walked in your sleep before, Mrs. Barnes said, resting her hand lightly on top of Myra's. You don't talk in your sleep as far as I know. You've never been a restless sleeper. True, Myra agreed. So chances are this was one troubling incident. Maybe you were upset about something. Maybe it was something you ate. Mother! Myra angrily pulled her hand away. Okay, okay, it wasn't something you ate. Sorry, I can see why you're very upset. But I think you have to stay calm to keep it in perspective, that's all. I was out in the street in my nightgown. If you feel that upset, there's a wonderful man at the hospital you could go to talk to. You mean a shrink? Yes, he's a friend of mine, and I'm sure he'd make time to see you. So you think I'm cracking up? No, of course not. But it might make you feel better to talk to someone. It might be reassuring. Obviously, everything I say, you're just going to jump down my throat. I'm not jumping down your throat. But you just think it's funny that I went traipsing around outside of my sleep, and I think it's really scary. Mrs. Barnes started to say something, but the doorbell rang. She glanced at her watch. Now, who could that be? Maybe it's Walker, Myra said, jumping up and jogging quickly toward the front. I saw him at the mall, and he was worried about me, so... Myra ran to the front hallway and pulled open the door. Stephanie! Hi! How you doing? Stephanie gave her a little wave. She was wearing a navy blue, long-sleeved top with a white scarf around her neck and white tennis shorts. Her black hair was pulled straight back into a ponytail. Even in the yellow porch light, she looked tan. She looks so much like Link, Myra thought. Myra opened the screen door and Stephanie walked in. How'd you get so tan, Myra asked. I heard you were working this summer. I am, at Shadyside Daycare. It's like a day camp. I'm outside with the kids most of the day, so I get a lot of sun. Well, hi, Stephanie, Mrs. Barnes came into the hallway. Don't you look beautiful? Thanks, Miss Barnes. How are you? Okay, haven't seen you for quite a while. Stephanie looked at Myra, uncomfortable. Yeah, well, I've been working at Shadyside Daycare. I've got 24-year-olds in my group. I'm so tired, some nights I go to bed at 8.30. Do you sleep indoors or out? Mrs. Barnes asked and then laughed. Mother, you're not funny. Stephanie looked confused. What's she talking about? Never mind, Myra said quickly. Mrs. Barnes retreated back to the kitchen. You're not busy or anything? Stephanie asked. I should have called first, but... No, no, I'm glad. I mean, I'm happy to see you. She was so relieved that Stephanie wasn't angry at her for breaking up with Link. Come up to my room and let's talk. Stephanie followed her up the stairs. Myra plopped down on the desk chair and motioned for Stephanie to sit on the bed. You look very preppy. That scarf looks great with that tan. I really like it. You should like it, Stephanie said laughing. It's your scarf. It is? Yeah, you left it at our house months ago. Oh, then give it back, Myra said only half choking. No way, I'm keeping it, Stephanie said, smoothing the scarf with both hands. Myra expected her to laugh and hand back the scarf, but she saw that Stephanie was serious. She really intended to keep it. That's strange, Myra thought. She probably has a dozen scars of her own. Stephanie's family was pretty well off, and Stephanie was just about the best-dressed girl at Shadyside High. There was an uncomfortable silence. Hey, I'm putting you on, Stephanie said finally. She removed the scarf from her neck and placed it beside her on the bed. Here you go. Myra felt strangely relieved. So you're having a good summer, she asked. Yeah, kind of, but Link isn't. Stephanie flipped her ponytail back over her shoulder. Her expression changed. All of the friendliness faded from her face. Stephanie, Myra started, shifting her position on the desk chair, tucking her legs under her. She had a sudden feeling of dread as she realized that Stephanie had a purpose to her visit. We have to talk about Link, Stephanie said in a low voice. No, we don't, Myra said quickly. I know he's your brother, but you have no right to hurt him like this. Yes, I do, Myra insisted. 
then immediately wish he hadn't said it. It sounded so cold. Listen, we can't talk about this. There's nothing to talk about. Why did you do it to him, Myra? You have no idea what you did to him. He's totally wrecked. He counted on you. He cared about you. And then you ruined everything. You, I broke up with him. That's all. It happens, you know. It wasn't working out. I didn't want to hurt him. I had no idea he'd carry on like this and send his sister to... He didn't send me, Stephanie shouted. Sorry. I came on my own just to tell you what a mess Link is, and it's all your fault. Sorry, Myra repeated. Sorry isn't enough. What else can I say? Say that you'll go back with him. Give it another chance. I can't. Yes, you can, but I don't want to. Listen, Stephanie, Link has to grow up sometime. What's that supposed to mean? All this mooning around and following me and calling me, it's so childish. Even if he didn't send you to talk to me, why are you here? Because you think he's childish too. You think he's too childish to deal with his own problems. That's not true, Stephanie snapped, her dark eyes flaring. I came because I care about my brother, because I wanted to tell you what I think of you. Well, okay, you've done it, but there's nothing I can say. I'm sorry everyone feels bad. I feel bad too, really. And that's it, Stephanie jumped to her feet. Yeah, afraid so, Myra said softly. You'll be sorry, Stephanie said. At least that's what Myra thought she said. She hadn't quite heard. What did you say? I said I'm sorry for you. Goodbye, Stephanie, Myra said wearily. Have a nice life. Stephanie flashed her an angry look, turned, and walked quickly from the room. Myra didn't get up from the desk chair. She listened to Stephanie's heavy footsteps on the stairs, then heard the front door slam shut. She suddenly realized she was shaking all over. She hated confrontations like that, especially with someone she considered a friend. What a shame. It was just such a shame. She looked over at the bed, the white scarf. It was gone. Stephanie had taken the scarf. Chapter 9 The dream was so vivid. She could smell the pine air, feel the cold, clear water as she stepped into the lake. It was a bright, sunny day. So sunny, everything seemed to shimmer and gleam. The colors were so intense. She was surrounded by a mist of glowing yellow. Sunshine yellow, so warm, so bright. Beneath her feet, the lake washed blue, cold blue. Gentle ripples caught the sunlight, splashing over her bare ankles. She walked over the water, walked normally, but slowly, her arms at her sides, looking straight ahead. Always straight ahead over the widening lake. What a glorious day! But she could not keep the troublesome thoughts away. Someone was watching her from the shore. Someone was staring at her as she walked on the lake. Who was it? She turned back to see, but the glare, the shimmering yellow glare was blinding. She shut her eyes and looked away. The yellow glare formed a curtain. She couldn't see beyond it. She couldn't see who was watching her. The lake water suddenly felt colder. Low, rippling waves splashed harder against her legs. The yellow sunlight faded to gray, and then to black. Myra woke up. Where am I? she thought. Trees whispered. Wind blew at her nightgown. I'm outside again in my nightgown, she realized. Surrounded by trees, tall pines, oaks, low hedges, an overturned tricycle in a gravel driveway, a rambling old house, dark, one shutter banging against the shingles. It's not my house, she thought. I'm not in front of my house. I'm somewhere else. Gripped with fear, she realized she'd been holding her breath. She let the air out of her lungs and took a deep breath of cool air. Where am I? A single street light more than half a block away. Old trees bending and scraping at each other. She looked down at her feet. So wet, so cold. She was standing in a deep puddle, the soft mud oozing between her toes, up over her ankles. I'm standing in mud, but where? She forced herself to breathe again. The dream returned in all its brightness and she gasped. How could I walk on the lake? Why was I there? Why am I here? She stepped out of the puddle. The wind seemed to die. 
It was so still, as still as a black and white photograph. She seemed to be the only thing that could move. She walked away from the now silent trees. Beyond the low evergreen bushes she saw a street. Beyond the street a tall, old Victorian house with a pale yellow light, as pale as the moon in a single upstairs window. The street looked familiar and unfamiliar at the same time. Myra walked toward the street light, keeping on the soft shoulder at the edge of the street. She swung her right arm as she walked, slowly at first, then more briskly, holding on to the waist of her cotton nightgown with the other hand. Was that a street sign just beyond the light? Yes. She passed another dark, old house set far back from the street, its yard a ragged carpet of tall grass and weeds. Do I know that house? Do I know this street? How far have I walked? Have I walked into another dream? She hurried up to the street sign. She looked away, then read it again. It hadn't changed. It still said Fear Street. Why am I here? She had walked in her sleep to Fear Street, to the edge of the woods. To the edge, she thought. To the edge. Over the edge. I've gone over the edge. The phrase repeated itself in her mind until it lost all meaning. She looked up at the street sign again. It was real. It was no dream. She was on Fear Street in her nightgown in the middle of the night. She had sleepwalked here to find what? She might have stood there forever, staring up at the black and white street sign. But the flashing red lights broke into her consciousness, and she realized she was no longer alone. A car door slammed. A man walked toward her. The red light flashed. It seemed to surround her. She tried to blink it away. She knew it was just a dream, coming back once again to frighten her. She looked down, expecting to see the cool blue lake water, but she saw only dirt. Miss? The man was right in front of her, standing in the flashing red glow. Miss, what are you doing out here? He was a policeman. Behind him, she saw the flashing red light on the roof of his police car. Hi, I, I don't know, Myra stammered. Are you okay? Yes, I think so. Have you been hurt? Did someone bring you here? No. He took her arm gently. She followed him toward the flashing red light. Can I take you home? Do you live around here? Thank you, officer. Myra's mother took it very seriously this time. She came running to the front door, wearing the striped men's pajamas she always wore, and her face filled with fear and surprise when she saw Myra and the grim-faced policeman. She led Myra into the kitchen, her arm tightly around Myra's waist. Both of them blinked against the harsh kitchen light. Mrs. Barnes put on the kettle to make hot chocolate. Myra told her mother about the dream and about waking up on Fear Street. I can't remember anything else. I can't explain anything else, Myra said, about to burst into tears. Mrs. Barnes came up behind her and gave her a hug. Shh, you're okay now. But what is happening to me? Why am I doing this? I don't know, her mother said, pouring the packet of brown chocolate powder into a mug. I don't know anything about sleepwalking, but the main thing is not to worry, not to get overly upset. Overly upset, Myra shrieked. She knew her mother was speaking so softly, so calmly, in order to calm her down, but it was only making her angry. How can I not be overly upset? I walked all the way to Fear Street in my sleep. I know, darling, her mother said. She poured the steaming water into the mug and slid it across the counter to Myra. Mom, I can't... Dr. Stern is on vacation this week, Mrs. Bards interrupted. But as soon as he's back in the hospital, we'll go see him. What can he say? Myra asked miserably. She took a sip of the hot chocolate and burned her tongue. Well, I don't know. I think he can probably explain what sleepwalking is. I mean, what causes it? Craziness. That's what causes it, Myra muttered, spreading both hands around the warm mug. I'm cracking up. Stop it. Stop saying that. Mrs. Barnes suddenly looked very tired. You're not cracking up. There's just something going on that we don't understand. Dr. Stern is a wonderful man. He'll help us. In the meantime, do you want to sleep with me in my room? Come on. We'll have a sleepover. Thanks, Mom. But really, I'm fine now. This hot chocolate is doing the trick. I'm feeling a lot calmer, Nurse Nancy. 
Myra gave her mother a smile, then took another sip from the mug. Maybe we can move Kim into your room for a little while, her mother suggested. She's such a light sleeper. She'd be bound to hear you when you got up. Then she could... They were both startled by loud footsteps. Kim came marching into the room in her Garfield cap pajamas, her eyes closed, her arms stretched straight out in front of her. I'm a sleepwalker, she moaned in her impression of a ghostly voice. I'm a sleepwalker. Kim! Myra screamed, not at all amused by her sister's performance. Have you been listening to us the whole while? Mrs. Barnes demanded. Kim ignored them both and continued walking across the kitchen, zombie-like, her eyes closed. I'm a sleepwalker. Watch out for the sleepwalker. Stop it, Kim. It isn't funny, Mrs. Barnes said. She's just impossible, Myra said, shaking her head. Kim finally opened her eyes. I can sleepwalk too, you know. What are you doing up? You have to get up early for camp, remember? Mrs. Barnes said, putting her hands on Kim's small shoulders, turning her around, and guiding her out of the kitchen. I'm not up. I'm sleepwalking, Kim insisted. A few minutes later, Myra was back in bed. She felt tired, worn out even, but she couldn't fall asleep. Every time she started to drift off, she forced herself back to alertness. No, I can't, she thought. 